We're going to be starting a series of messages today, I think appropriate, because the world is saying, the United States is saying, that the church is not really an essential place that you need to go. Do I have an awe? At least for the people that are here. And not so much on TV, right? But, um, you know, it is essential, and I know what they're saying. And most of them are saying, well, it's just not a place that you have to attend physically. But more and more, I think, in our world, people are saying the church is not necessarily essential, period. And I want to look at it knowing that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so for the next three, four weeks, we're going to be looking at why the church is so necessary, essential. Today, we're going to be looking at the mission of the church and then in weeks to come, the vision of the church as well as the community and the necessity of the body of Christ. Now, in this first message, I really wanted to tie this in to what we've been preaching on and teaching on all summer, and that is how your faith helps you to get through the trials of life. Now, as we open to this book, the book of Proverbs, it's all about wisdom. And so how does all that fit in? Well, we're going to find that the biggest need that we have in uh, addressing and going through the adversities of life is wisdom. We need the wisdom to deal with the situations of life. And so how do we get that wisdom? How does the four elements in our mission statement really make a difference there? Our mission statement is building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. Now we've said many times before that the we teach these four elements in all of our small groups, all in, in every age group. But the concentration in preschool is to love Jesus. That's what we want them. They, we want them to come out knowing out of, out of fifth, fifth five-year-old kindergarten. Um, we want them to come out knowing that Jesus loves them and for them to love Jesus. Elementary school. We want to teach them to love Jesus, but it's that time they're raised in church. Most of the time they receive Christ. And so the emphasis there in our children's ministry is to know Christ. When we get into middle school and high school, we have challenges that are facing us every single day. And so the emphasis there is to trust. And then as adults, We've got to do something with our life. School's over. We need to move forward, and we need to follow Christ. Now, all four of these things are taught in every age group, but those are the concentrations. So how does that fit today? I want to look, and as we look at the book of Proverbs, we look at the whole idea of wisdom and how it makes a difference in our life. Andy Stanley wrote a book a few years ago called The Greatest Question, and he said the greatest question is this. What is the wisest thing to do. And that is the question. When you're going through the pandemic, what is the wisest thing to do? How should you respond? When you're going across tensions in, in our country and even around the world that we're facing, how do you respond to that? How do you respond when you're going through adversity in your personal life, your finances, your job, your family, your marriage? How do you respond? You need the wisdom of God. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, it says this, blessed are the one who finds wisdom. This is uh, chapter three, verse 13. And the one who gets understanding for the gain from her, meaning wisdom, is better than gaining silver and her profit better than gold. Well, let's back that up and see how we get there. Three, three questions today. Number one, what is the greatest need? Number two, how do we get it? 
Number three, how does it all come together very briefly at the end? What is the greatest need? Well, it's really wisdom. Now, the greatest need is Jesus Christ, but Christ gives us the mind, the Bible says the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God within us as we walk with him. Now, some of the synonyms of uh, wisdom are found right here in the book of Proverbs chapter one. He says, so the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, he says, to know wisdom and instruction, there's two things, to understand, the third thing, words of insight, fourth thing, uh, verse four, to give prudence to the simple, all kinds of things, but the central idea here is the wisdom of God and how we get it all through the book of Proverbs. The word insight has to do with a Hebrew word, barah, which means to discern the difference that the casual observer cannot really see. Sort of like a, a sleuth, you know, a detective, um, a Sherlock Holmes. Then the word prudence, verse four, is to look at reality, to see life for really what it is and see truth for what it is and not be influenced by those around you to negate that truth or to change that truth. And the word instruction is to gain the idea of gaining depth of character. But the word wisdom used in verse 2, verse 20, uh, verse 13, verse 14 of chapter 3, in fact, all throughout this book, number one word, it's all about the wisdom. It comes from a word, hakma in the Hebrew, means to weave together. And it's the same word used back in the book of Exodus that talked about weaving the garments of the priest, mainly Aaron. Aaron being the first priest, weaving his garments, using the same word, hakma. And the idea of wisdom is to weave the knowledge of God into your life, the fabric of life. And without putting it so poetically, it simply means this, taking the knowledge that you have and putting it to use. The knowledge that you have, making the right decisions when the moral law does not address certain situations, where you need to go, your next step in life, the next job you're going to take, the person you're going to marry, not found in the moral law. So how do we get, go about getting that wisdom? Well, wise decisions will keep us from adversity, but also help us in the trials and adversities of life. Wisdom, as we're facing those adversities, will bring patience to our life. It'll bring endurance to our life. Endurance in going through those trials, it'll, it'll require then a measured response. Someone will come to you for advice. Some people will come to you for uh, how you feel about certain issues in life. Why? Because you seem to have a wisdom that is not normal to everyone. And so we're talking about wisdom. We're talking about getting through the trials of life and needing that in order to know, like the questions, why? I'm not talking about why me, God? Why this happened to me? Uh, what was me? Why didn't it happen to somebody else? I'm talking about the question, why? Okay, God, I've got a trial in my life. It could be there's a sin in my life. It could be an attitude to change. It could be you're trying to get my attention to, to get closer to you and put Jesus on the throne of my life again. Why am I going through this? It requires wisdom to know what is happening around us and how to respond even in relationships. So how do you get it? One of the four things mentioned in our mission statement, 
Not only does, do I believe that Proverbs is telling us if we have wisdom, we're going to have these things, but also if we have these things, we're going to gain more wisdom. So it's kind of reciprocal. It goes around and around and around. And so we're going to look at these right now in chapter 3 and verse 1 of Proverbs. First of all, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Here we find one of the things mentioned here in the book of Proverbs chapter 3 is the idea of love, loving God. And again, we teach this on every single level in our church. But it says here to love from the heart. Now notice in verse 1 it says the heart. In verse 3 it says, write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Over and over and over again, it mentions three times the first five verses about the heart. Loving not just from the mind, but from the heart. Now, normally, in our uh, English language, we think about the heart as being the seat of the emotions. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, as I've shared with you over and over again, it's the causal core. The heart is the causal core of who we are. It's where life flows out. In fact, Proverbs tells us this in chapter 4. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. CSV version says, guard your heart. Above all else, for it is the source of life. It's, who you, it's what you worship. It's what you value. It's base, it bases the decisions that you make in life. And, and who you love, and what, what you do, it all flows out of the heart, the causal core of who you are. That's why we say when you invite Jesus into your heart, you're inviting Jesus into the causal core of your heart, and therefore, he, you will be de, you'll determine your values on that causal core, which is Christ. You'll determine your decisions based on Christ, on the lordship of Christ in your life as well. In fact, that's the application. When, Jesus, when you love Jesus with all of your heart, he becomes a true compass in your life because he becomes the passion of your life. Now, everybody has a passion, whether it's a little bit of passion or a lot of passion, because something is on the throne of your life. It's not just a matter of Jesus being on the throne or the throne being empty. You and I have something or someone on that throne. What is your greatest passion in life? If Jesus Christ is your Lord, and he's on the throne of your life, if your passion is for him, if you love him more than anything else, it's like a young person falling in love, a couple of teenagers maybe falling in love, a couple of high school students or maybe college students falling in love, and nothing else matters, it seems like, with them. They're in a world of their own. Their heart is filled up. Their senses are filled up, as the old John Denver song said. And so you find that that's what the Bible's saying. That we love God, and because of that, what happens? Well, when other things happen to me on the outside, as long as I have my true love, I'm okay. Well, it, what, what if things, what if you lose your job? Well, I have my, my true, I, you know, if somebody's true love is their wife or their husband, oh, I, I have my, my family. That's all that matters. You know, the house burned down. I, I have my family. I'm sorry about the house burning down, but my family's safe. 
as long as that which runs your causal core, your heart, is in a safe place, then you're going to be okay through the trial. If Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, he's always going to be okay. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to die again. He's never going to go away. No matter what happens in your life. Now, as your passion is for God, all the things on the outside are affecting your outside, but they're not affecting your heart. Well, I need to move on because also we find here um, a question or another thing, and that is our, not only our heart of love, but also to know God. We said our mission statements teach people to love and to know God. Well, the beginning steps of that often comes or always comes in knowing him as our personal Savior and Lord. But after that, the Bible tells us that we need to leave the elementary principles of the Christian faith and go on to growth, go on to really know God in a real personal way. Notice what it says here in verse 1 again. My son, do not forget your t- my teaching. Length of days, years of life, peace will be added unto you. He says, bind them around your neck. Write them upon the tablet of your heart. You know what this re- really reminds us of? And you know what Solomon was saying? He was pulling back something from the Old Testament. And that Old Testament was called the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, take the teachings, bind them around your neck, write them on the doorpost of your heart. And uh, uh, he's saying, the teachings of God, don't let them go. Hold on to them. Grip them with all of your might. Knowing God. Why do we need to know him? Well, when we get to know him, we know the word of God. We've got to know the word of God in order to trust the word of God. We need to believe the word of God. In order to believe the word of God, we've got to read it. We read it, we digest it, and we believe the promises of God. Now, the problem that we're having, perhaps, is what George Barna, Barna Research, has said for us, to us. The church, basically in the church, only 17% of our people now have a Christian worldview. 17% really believing the Bible. Listen, if you don't believe it, then you're not going to be able to trust it. You say, well, I trust some of it. No, in in a pinch, when the going gets tough, when you feel like your world's falling apart, you will not be able to trust it. Just like you would not be able to trust your husband or your wife if they were only 17% faithful to you. They just wouldn't. If your child only only told the truth to you 17% of the time, you would never be able to believe them, much less in times of adversity. Believing the Bible, believing the Word of God, you get to know the Word of God, you know the will of God. The Bible says all things work together for those who love God, together for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He says everything's going to work together for the good. How do you know that? Well, God has a will for your life. Do you know what that is? As you read the word of God, as you get to know God, know him in a personal way, that is an experiential way. And that's what this word know in this passage is talking about. To know him in a personal way, by experience and not just by the facts. So we know the will of God. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for a welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Well, you know the ways of God. How do you, why do you need to know the ways of God? Well, because you don't. We don't know it. Isaiah, God says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
My, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I don't know the ways of God unless I know the word of God, unless I know God. I don't know what he's doing. What is he doing in my life? I don't know because I, I don't know the ways of God. I don't look at the life of Abraham and find out what God was doing in his life, the life of Moses, the life of David, the life of Peter, the life of Paul. When I study those passages in the Bible, it teaches me then the ways of God, the, 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 the method of operation, the MO of God. And therefore, I know what he's doing maybe in my life as well. I need to know the ways of God. I need to know the wisdom of God. I need to know the works of God. Not only what he's doing in my life, but the lives of those around me. What he's doing out here, what he's doing up there. I, I need to know God and experience him in order to handle the adversity I have in my life. And so, because what is the knowledge of God? What, what end is that? I want us to turn over. And I don't know why I didn't see this ever before, at least not in this way. But in 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John is at the end of his life. And he gives us something that maybe we've never thought of before. Why, why preach the gospel? Why, why, do you, why do we do that? Why do we share the gospel? Why is the burden of my heart to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why? Why do that? Notice what it says here. That which was from the beginning, talking about Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes because he walked with Jesus for those three and a half years, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Word of life being Christ. The life was made manifest or known to us and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father who made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. He says, look, we've seen it. I, I've heard it. I walked with Jesus and the same message that he told me, I'm telling you, so that, so that, yeah, there's a reason here. There's a reason, there's an objective to it all. And he says, here's the objective and here's the insight. That you too may have fellowship with us. Corporate church type thing. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Why? Why proclaim the gospel? So other people can join us in the fellowship and relationship with God. That's the goal. To get people into the kingdom. That they would be worshipers of God. That have fellowship with God. That have a relationship with with God. John wrote about this at the end of his life, and he says, look, the, the more you know about God, the, the better off you're going to be. The more you're going to know about God, the better you're going to know the works of God and the ways of God and the will of God. And he says, I want you to have fellowship with him so you'll know him. Jeremiah says this, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. It's talking about intellect here. You know, some of our young people are going off to college. Some of you, many of you have maybe been to college. Maybe you have a PhD. He says, don't, don't boast in your wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Could be physical strength. It could be the might you have at work or the community. No need to boast in that. All those things are going to pass away. I guarantee your cognitive ability will go one day if you live long enough. One day you won't have that powerful job anymore. One day you'll have atrophy in your muscles. It won't last. 
Don't boast in that. Don't boast in your riches. You're going to leave it all behind. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That is the glory of it all. And what comes with that? He tells us in verse 4. He says, and we are writing these things. I'm writing this book. He says, this is one of the reasons I'm writing the book. I'm writing the book so that our joy may be complete. He says, we have fellowship. I preach the gospel. I preach the gospel to you that you would come to know Christ and join us as a community and the fellowship of God so our, as a community, our joy would be made complete. Now, you say, well, I don't see a joyous church a lot. And there's different types of joy. And sometimes we get confused. And I know we kind of define it like this. If it's ha- happen, it does anything to do with happening, something happening, happenstance. It's just happiness. It's not real joy. But people call things different things. But I love what Tim Keller said recently when he said there's a subterranean joy. And I like that. There's a joy that runs underneath. We had a, a well dug for us um, at our home and um, tried to save on our, our water bill. And uh, man, the guy, the guy was just going up and down on all kinds of feet. He couldn't, he couldn't hit the stream. And I heard about one guy in our church that does this. So I called him in and said, hey, could you help me? And he came and he found the water. But there's a stream running under the water. I was thinking, hey, you know, if you maybe if you put it close to that pond over there, he said, there's, there's no water. There's only water, man-made water in the pond. That's not a real pond. You know that, right? I said, yeah, I know that, but I, I thought maybe it, maybe it had some water. No, the water is right here. There's an underground stream running about. Now, listen how important that is. Jeremiah 17 says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. We'll come to that in just a moment. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, not in the stream, by the stream, and does not fear when the heat comes. The tree runs, the roots run deep, so when the heat comes, he doesn't have anything to fear. When your trials of life come, if your roots run deep in the knowledge of God, then there's no reason to fret. And he goes on to say, for its leaves remain, he says, and, and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green you're still going to have some productivity. And he says, don't be anxious in the year of drought. When those times when you feel like God is silent, when you feel like God's not around, when God's not answering your prayer, he said, if your roots are running deep, you're not going to worry, you're not going to be anxious because you don't cease to bear fruit. You see the fruit of the Christian in your life. The roots, a relationship with God running deep because you know him and the more you know him the more you can trust him the more you know him the more you can follow him the more you know him the more you can stand firm in adversity and trial in life I've shared with you uh, on several occasions because I've been here 27 years so naturally I'm going to mention the same things right on occasion but I was uh, in the flood in Tacoa Falls College back in the late 1970s and I know, I know you're thinking, well, man, you must have been a five-year-old student. Let it be said on TV that five people laughed at that. Okay. Um, 
But I was there when the flood hit, and when the, uh, the dam broke and about 50 acres of water came down on the campus, there was like a trench running through it because there was a creek right there. Right beside the creek was Residence Row. Now, I was on the dorm on the other side, but we were on high ground, so the water came about 10 feet below my window, but we were on higher ground. Remember, Tocoa Falls is about a lot of hills and valleys there in Tocoa, Georgia, in the foothills of the mountains. But in this low part, the, the creek, or that rather the water, just followed the creek around in the low part. And when it hit Residence Row, since it was beside the creek in the low ground, it just flattened every single one of those houses. Two of my professors lived in those houses. One of them, the Sproles, Dr. Sproul had been my teacher that semester, um, middle of the semester, now toward actually the end of the semester, been teaching there for many, many years, married a little bit later in life, and so he had three young children. And Pat Sproul, his wife, told, tells a story. She said when it hit, it hit just suddenly. And my, my husband grabbed two of our children. And I cr tried to grab the other by the hand. She slipped from my hand, and he was reaching out for her when I was sucked out of an air-conditioned, uh, one-room air-conditioned type of a window. The air conditioner got sucked out. She got sucked out. Never, she said, I never saw my family again. Never saw them again. Now, at Cool Falls during this time, and not trying to be analytical here, at all, but we were all, um, many people, not everybody, but many people were kind of careful about their emotions. Reporters were on um, the, uh, the campus. A few people tried to act like, you know, kind of a little heroic and uh, very much um, together and not emotional about it, trusting God. You know, we wanted to be good, a lot of young Christians there, we wanted to be good testimonies to everybody. And so it seemed like, wow, you know, this, these, this group of kids are not only taking this real well, but they seem to have a real joy in their life, real happiness. And it was, it was attractional because many of the reporters I've said before got saved during the memorial service for the 39 that died. But Mrs. Sproul was interviewed. And she said, I, I don't understand about the, um, the happiness, it seems, to be on campus. She said, I'm not happy. So my whole world has gone from me. My three little children, my husband, I won't see them this side of heaven. They're gone. So I'm not happy. I'm grieving. And she said this, but there is a joy. I can't explain, but there's a joy. And what she was saying, there's a subterranean joy that happens, a real peace a deep gladness of heart, even though those things surrounding you are so bad, you just know you can't give up. You just know there's hope because of that subterranean joy that goes underneath. It comes with knowing Christ. And then when we know Christ, dear friends, and I'll, I'll stop here in just a moment, real quick, because we've been talking about trusting Christ all year long. But that's the, that's the next thing. He says, look, when you love Christ, you know Christ, you're going to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. He says, trust in him. We've said that trust means to rely upon, to rest upon. Like you came in and rested on the pew. You didn't test it first. If you're at home, you didn't test the, 
the recliner that you're sitting in today, right now, and, and you didn't push on, no, you just sat in it because you trusted the chair. We all trust in something in life. It's not just a matter of saying, well, I, I either trust in God or I, I don't trust in anything at all. No, it's just like some, something is on the throne of your life. You're trusting in something. And whatever that passion is, you place your confidence in that and then it controls your life. Notice lastly, he says, therefore you'll follow Christ. In verse six, in all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. He says you follow God. You understand life for what it is. The wisdom of making the right decision and the right decision is always to follow Christ. In fact, that's part of the definition of faith. Part of the def definition of trusting God is simply saying, I'm going to follow God no matter what the outward circumstances look like. No matter what it looks like, I'm going to follow him. And so what is this? where do we end up with this? As we close, we come together with this. He says in verse 2, if you... Let your heart keep God's commandments, length of days and years of life, and peace will add to you. You follow him, that's what's going to happen. He says in verse 4, you're going to have good success in the sight of God. He says in verse 6, he's going to direct your paths. He's going to make your path straight. In verse 17, he says there's going to be rest and peace in your soul. Verse 18, there'll be a path of blessing in your life. In verses 13 and 14, you're going to gain wisdom, and that's far more valuable than any money that you can have. There'll be peace and joy in your life. So where, this end, where do we end up in this? So what? What do we do now? How do we gain wisdom to choose the right path to handle adversity and have joy and grace in our life? Well, we need to love God. We need to place him first in our life. Maybe there's someone here. You said, that's where I've gone astray. I'm a Christian, but I'm not putting Christ really first in my life. Others might say, well, I'm putting God first in my life, but I'm not really exercising enough to really get to know him and his word. I read it, pray a little bit, but not really intentionally like I should. I need to know God more. Trusting him, even in the worst of times. We can trust him and follow him. And following starts with coming to know Christ as your Savior and Lord. In fact, different people need to make different decisions here this morning. God's speaking to you in a different way than he is someone maybe next to you, even at home. Maybe there's someone here that just says, you know, I've gone somewhere, I've lost it. I, I need to get Jesus back in the right place in my life. I need to pursue him. I need to delight in him so much that, that I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. But maybe there's someone here that also just simply says, I don't know if I know Christ. I don't know if he's ever been really on the throne of my life. Because how can you receive Jesus part way? Well, I received him as Savior, but not as Lord. You know, I received him as King, but, or, or I received him as, as, as my helper, but I didn't receive him as King. How can you re receive part of Jesus? No, you receive Christ. And here's what the Bible says at the end of 1 John. He says, look, I've, I've written to this that your joy may be made complete. But he says, I've also written these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. 
And I know I've shared Christ with many, many people who said, you know, that's presumption. How can you know that? Paul, John says you can know that because, and it's different from every other, every other religion in the world says, says you've got to earn salvation because of something that you do. And you haven't done it yet. You haven't finished your life yet. So how in the world could you know whether you're going to heaven or not when you haven't even finished your life? But Christianity, the one faith that says your going to heaven is based upon what somebody else has done, and he's already done it. He's not going to do anything else to die for you on the cross, be raised again on the third day. He's already done that, and now all we have to do is say, God, I'm not trusting in myself, but I'm humbling myself before you, and I'm receiving Christ into my life and my heart, the causal core of who I am. So what's your decision today? Well, we can get through this adversity. We can, you know, these things will also pass and we'll go on to other trials in life. You know, people say, well, I, I can remember back in the 70s, people say 18% interest rates. We'll never see single digit interest rates again. People in my church were saying that back in the late 70s. And then, you know, we'll, we'll never, you know, the Soviet Union maybe would never fall. Well, it did. We'll never get out of the great times that we're in. Prices of houses are just going to go up. And, well, we got through that too, kind of in a bad way. When the recession hit, oh, life has changed forever. We'll never really know prosperity again. This is the new normal. How many times have we heard that? The new normal, the new normal, the new normal. Now we have a pandemic. Now we have all kinds of tensions going around us. We say, well, we'll never be the same again. Yes, we'll get through this. But my question is, is not whether our world will get through it, but whether you will get through it. And you're getting through it is going to greatly depend on where God and Christ is in your life. I want you to get through it. There'll be other trials. There'll be other things that we go to. But are you going to get through this one? And you do it through trusting Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to encourage you right now, as a believer in Christ, to say your own prayer before the Lord and say, God, this is where I'm lacking. This is what I need to do with this message whether it's Christ, Lord of your life, a commitment to, or a commitment to know God in a deeper way, to apply the knowledge that you have and praying for wisdom as James 1.5 will tell us. How are you going to make wise decisions? What is it that God wants you to do? Well, if God wants you to receive Christ today, turn your life over to him. Invite him into that heart that you have in your soul. Then I want you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it silently if you're here in the building. You can pray it silently or out loud if you're watching uh, by video in some way. But pray with me now, and I invite you to really turn your heart over to God. The prayer goes like this. Lord God, I know I need you. And I know I need you because I'm a sinner. As the Bible says, separated from you. Thankfully, Jesus died for me. He's already done it. He's already accomplished everything for me. So I trust in that. I invite him into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. 
I trust you with my life and heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.